Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two quans. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, I named trading firms who were very involved. Um, Alec.eth is the ultimate puzzle. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros. First, we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Next, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and the czar of Superstate. Then we've got Tarun, the Gigabrain and Grand Poobah Gauntlet. And finally, I'm Haseeb, the head hype man at Dragonfly. So we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. So we've been off for a week. I think we were all busy rejoicing the XRP decision, which is for now, at least, the SEC has not appealed, although people are worried that the SEC might appeal. In the meantime, we can kind of have our little moment as an industry. Tarun, you were just in Paris at ECC. What was the vibe there? Did it feel different than how it's felt previous yeah, conferences? Yeah, so I think uh, a very important thing to note is that this year, the Ethereum community is not holding its main developer conference called DevCon, which usually is the biggest conference, like tens of thousands, probably much more than that people go to it. And also another really big conference in the Ethereum world called DevConnect got moved to later this year. So there's a sense in which ETHCC had this pole position as the only summer conference for Ethereum. And one thing I often like to joke about Ethereum development is that all the development gets done at hackathons. So they have to keep having many hackathons because it's the only way decentralized like client development happens because people, I guess, have to keep synchronizing. But that being said, I, I, do, I do think they're, they're kind of super interesting. I think the interesting thing of this one was it clearly was the biggest conference. Like I, I think many of us went to Eat Denver. Eat Denver it was horrible in comparison. Like I just can't even... I, yeah, Paris was really? just so much better. Like, what was the number one why? major benefit of Paris over Denver? Uh, Denver in February is like shithole squared, you know? It's like, it's not a very fun city and it's freezing. No one wants to really be there. Paris in summer is kind of the opposite, you know? What does the CC stand for? Community conference. Yeah, beyond the weather, what what was it? I think a lot of people from virtually every ecosystem in crypto came this time, which is very different, I think, than Denver. I think a lot of people skip. B, um, the European communities for a lot of protocols have been completely, I wouldn't say like unscathed, maybe that that's definitely too egregious, but significantly less affected by the events of the last 12 months. I think people in Europe, it's very refreshing compared to being in the US where like all you want... That may be because everything else in Europe has gone down so much. Like there's, like they have horrible inflation, their economies aren't growing. And so it's kind of like, oh, actually crypto, not so bad. I don't know if it's just that. I think it's also like, they seem to be taking a more metered view on like things like FTX. They seem to have like 
you know, protocols and teams seem to have been working through that and have focused less on legal stuff, have had less legal things to talk about. And I think their distance from the U.S. regulatory apparatus is very palpable in that people are still extremely positive versus mm-hmm. like in the U.S. it's like feels like this roller coaster. So I think that was really good. There are a lot of side events, almost too many from every possible ecosystem you could think of, except Solana. One, one thing I actually think is quite interesting is Solana is like the only layer one that doesn't try to like ride the coattails of the ETH conferences. Like when there's an ETH conference, they host a conference before or after <laughs> or around. They're just like, no, we're doing our own thing and it's going to be completely separate. So which is interesting. Avalanche also, I think, is like that, right? There, there are two ecosystems that completely just, they don't try, but like every other layer one like has a hacker house or has a little conference on the side. And so there's tons of stuff going on. How was the Cardano presence in Paris? I saw much more Cardano in at Consensus in Austin, Cardano and Tron, than uh, at ETCC. Yeah, yeah. So, what about okay. Bitcoin? Any okay. Bitcoin presence? Any BiFi? Did you see any uh, BiFi? I saw Eric Wall. I guess that's the cl- that's the that's the closest <laughs> I got. <laughs> he he is kind of the mascot. He is kind of the mascot. Yeah, I don't think there was too much Bitcoin influence honestly I, I feel like the most i ever hear see bitcoiners in europe is like in switzerland or italy but i feel like france is definitely not or doesn't seem to be bitcoin land in my experience that's because all of ethereum is building the future of france so there's like a very clear bias of course yeah i mean i think the interesting things were as highlights were there's a huge focus on infrastructure and i think this led to some debates over the last few days on twitter about are you building bridges to nowhere? Like, or are you going to have applications? Or is it like the applications fundamentally need this, this, the current state of infrastructure? It's very clear the roll-up world is definitely Ethereum's future versus kind of some of the longer-term ETH roadmap stuff. I think people started, to, you know, the Ethereum 2 roadmap basically was not talked about that much, but the roll-up-centric future was kind of talked about a lot. There were a lot of stuff around restaking and eigenlayer, as well as a lot of stuff around data availability in Celestia. Celestia had a side conference that was probably the most attended thing that I had gone to. I saw a lot about the yeah. modular the modular summit. It seems like it was getting a lot of attention. So I'm curious what you guys think about this. I mean, all of us are investors, and we're we're seeing this play out in real time. Is almost everything that's getting funded these days is infrastructure. And it sounds like that was really the theme of ETCC is infrastructure, whether it's shared sequencers or ZK tech or, you know, modular something or other, blah, 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 data availability. These are all really kind of back-end infrastructure technologies. What's your take after having spent the time in Paris? And I'm curious to get everyone else's take on this idea of like, are we over-investing in infrastructure because we don't know what else I to mean, invest into? Disclaimer, as investor in many of these companies over the last couple of years before they kind of now are kind of these hot buzzy things. I think there was a while where people didn't care at all about infrastructure late 2021, early 2022. I feel like it was what? No, no, no. I just don't think you were seeing the big rounds for them. Right. It was like so much about like big rounds for like sound.xyz or like NFT things or or what that stuff is completely gone. In fact, I barely saw any of that in Paris versus last year. There was a ton of stuff around that. And I think, you know, this is always what happens in the bear market. Like 2018, 2019 definitely felt like there was tons of investment infrastructure. I think it's sort of like we're sort of in this part of the market where 
everyone's waiting for the Hail Mary application to show up. Like, where's the Uniswap? Where's the MakerDAO? And in some ways, investors can't construct those things, right? Like, no matter how good or how egotistical an investor might think about themselves creating the market for a product that doesn't exist, realistically, it's very hard to make viral applications from funding, right? Like, if you think about some of the larger application Ethereum, it generally kind of came from some organic usage, although there are some exceptions, but I think in general, applications are extremely hard to invest in comparatively, whereas infrastructure at least like hopefully has these applications using them once they get big, right? So you could think of it as this like second order derivative on the applications market that happens to be smoother in terms of how its payoff is, which is what happens when the market's down. But I do feel like we're kind of in this like, Everyone is just like searching for the like the the thing that will will work, and it's not super super clear that we found that. I think like the current applications that seem to be having a lot of hype are more or less just some casinos. So I'm not con- completely sure that that's uh, that's the future of France. It does seem like there may be a bit of overfitting in that you know if you look historically, investors know that the biggest returns in crypto have all come from infrastructure. There is basically nothing in the application layer that has ever performed as well as infrastructure in crypto. And it does seem to be like, it probably can't be true that every single layer of this infrastructure stack all makes a lot of money, right? It would be really weird if like Solana makes a lot of money and the data availability layer makes a lot of money and the API layer and, you know, the RPC node and the, you know, the the folks who are hosting the RPC node, like all of them are collecting a bunch of money and building gigantic businesses and the applications just kind of, they, they're just paying the fees for everybody on top. That seems like a probably not plausible view of the world, but I think investors just have this uh, shared memory that like, well, infrastructure is the only thing that makes money. And applications kind of come and go, but infrastructure is forever, basically. I mean, which is not to say that we don't do it. We, you know, we obviously we also invest into a bunch of stuff that's infrastructure, but it does seem like it's hard to know where things are going. And like, you know, betting on products is infamously... You know, consumers are infamously difficult to predict and super fickle, especially in crypto. Yeah. No, Tom, what's your take? Oh, yeah. No, I, only, oh, only thing I was going to say is like, it was very clear there were no applications like versus last year. Like last year, I really felt like there were tons of people trying to sell you on music NFTs or, or God forbid, the thing that makes me want to blow my brains out the most, Web3 fashion, which is fashion for your metaverse avatar, which obviously uh, we've found to be Less exciting nowadays. So many people made me feel so stupid for not understanding Web3 fashion. I was like, I, I guess I'm just going to be old. And it turns out that like, I have survived. I just don't think that. They, there was me. so much of that last I've, year uh, too. Because I feel like in Paris, there were like somehow like the Paris <laughs> hype beasts, like people who line up at certain stores were just like, they found their calling. And of course, I think this year <laughs> there was like zero of that. Tom, what's your take on this whole infrastructure applications thing yeah i mean i think it is very cyclical people invest in infrastructure i mean it's a whole like a uh, blog post about sort of infra application um, cyclicality and like oftentimes it doesn't make sense why you're investing into the part of the cycle that you are like i remember in like 2018 2019 people were like you know investing in, like plasma plasma gonna be a thing i'm like why plasma like no like these blocks aren't even getting filled fees are like you know pennies gas prices are bottoming out like there isn't even demand to fill the blocks that we have, let alone trying to create more supply. And then it's like, oh, well, you do that. Sometimes there's an emergent effect where some applications just can't exist without that infrastructure. And then someone is building capacity 
to allow things that do blow up to you know, have the info that they need. But I think on the investment front, it's it's much easier to underwrite an infrastructure that and say, hey, we're going to get an index, all, all the stuff that's happening, and, and hopefully that is getting some good you know exposure to whatever application blows up, even if it's maybe not the most directly monetizable. But I, I think just thinking about deal flow as well, um, I have not seen as many applications recently. And I think part of it is just there's like a really difficult regulatory story around applications. Like, you know, okay, you can't launch a token, you can't charge fees, you can't, you have to KYC everyone who's using your front end. Like, it, it's not really clear what great applications emerge in the current regulatory environment. I think, frankly, like OpenSea and like MetaMask are kind of like the only two that like make a bunch of money and are, are kosher. But if you don't want to do either of those, like, it's, it's not really clear what that, that sort of next well, an uh, great story maybe is. Well, maybe weird take on this is that one of the reasons I think developers like the app chain thesis two years ago or a year and a half ago was like, hey, I have a reason for my token. People are validating my network. And in the roll-up centric world, right, what you're doing is you're pushing the application more towards infrastructure, right? Because I have to run my own thing. I have to actually like understand that. Mm. And in that world, you can justify fees and maybe tokens a little more, which is sort of feels like that's like kind of the reason people are jumping to roll up eyes things when they don't necessarily need to. But all the funding for rollups is not application specific, right? The stories are application. Oh, you can build a rollup that can do anything and OP stack and this stack and that stack. But none of the funding is going. Yeah, to that's true. That's true. I, I, I'm saying like, not yet. Pe- not yet. People are trying to make like, like that would be what I would say is like, people are trying to make apps look more like infrastructure so that they can like, dress it up to investors and be like, hey, look, app for structure. Right, because if you squint, right, like what's the difference between depositing like in a smart contract versus depositing in like a bridge contract to like URL2? Like it's kind of the same thing in like a very like, you know, squinty way. And so I definitely think L2 sounds better for a single purpose application L2. I think it's because people think of an L2 as like, oh, it's like a platform. There's going to be many applications and it's all going to be developing value like in a network effect and like it's super awesome versus like, oh, this is my one specific application that's highly scalable that you enter as an L2. Yeah, I think there also is just like a monetary premium around having an L1 or L2 token. Like just for kids, I was looking this up. Guess what uh, Ronin is trading at right now? 1.2? 700 mil. I mean, it's it was just still incredibly high for what is basically like a shitty death fork that you know, with a bridge that doesn't work for like an app that no one wants to use. And so it's like it's, <laughs> it's like way harsh. more. I mean, it's I mean, aren't they, don't they still have like five hundred thousand dailies or something? They still have a lot uh, of users. I don't think it's that high, but in any scenario, I mean, if you look at the trend, it's not really. Yeah, trend line's not positive, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I think it's just more hey saying you're your own chain, you just get this huge premium over just having you know, an app application token. If you even want to go the tokenization route. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I, I would push back on painting all on-chain games with the same brush because like, there is a big difference between like where Decentraland landed and where Axie landed. Axie still has a lot of users. I mean, it's not, obviously it's not doing great and I don't think it's going to ever step back into its previous valuation, but uh, it's probably one of the most used things on on-chain period still yeah i'm just looking so there's 300,000 monthlies so it's like not okay, awesome fine. 300,000 um, monthlies okay yes, in any okay. in any scenario i mean i think my point being more broadly you take these two things sort of split the universe one is axie has their own chain the other is axie just pure application token 
And I, I think in, in this case, it's clearly additive, right? Because you have the application token in addition to the, to the chain and you're sort of you know, creating value from thin air. I'm going to sound super curmudgeonly saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, just going to feel how it lands, which is that when I was first investing into infrastructure, this was like 2018, 2019, after the 2017 bull run. And at that time, it was really clear that Ethereum was not going to scale. Ethereum was not uh, performance enough to be able to handle all the demand for transactions. And that created this generation of founders who were like, we need to scale block space. We need to scale smart contract platforms. And that was the genesis of the Solanas and the Nears and the Avalanches and, and all the, the plasmas, rollups, all that stuff came out of that era because of that very strong need that everybody saw that this stuff needs to get better and improve so that we can do the stuff we want to do on chain, right? It feels that now in 2023, it feels like the best minds of my generation are once again all working on infrastructure, but it's not really clear to me that there is the same crushing need for everybody to be focused on it, right? Like we kind of have rollups, right? But people are like, oh, but you need perfect modular DAs, then you need this shared sequencers, then you need like some fancy MEV contraption to you know more accurately democratize this and that. And it's kind of like, we finally got a bunch of people on chain. We finally got lots and lots of people on chain. We got lots of block space. We have so many places where you can launch an application. We have rollups. I mean, obviously, yeah, we need fraud proofs and stuff to get up and running, but we kind of have the first cut ready to go. But it seems like people are kind of myopically focused on infrastructure at a time when it feels like we really need more people thinking about how to build great applications that bring people on chain. So it feels like even though we're at the same place where almost everybody's focused on infrastructure, it feels much more misdirected in this cohort, not that nobody should be working on it, but that should really 80, 90% of entrepreneurs be building infrastructure instead of building things for people to use on chain. It feels wrong to me. Of the show, this is not investment advice, but if you're a founder, maybe this is founder advice. Here, Haseeb is the VC telling you there's a wrong ratio of infrastructure to applications to use that infrastructure. Yeah. Now that said, like, I understand why people are doing it because they see where the incentives are, right? They see where the funding is going. You know, I, I don't think we've done any large infrastructure deals this year, but most of the large deals this year have all been infrastructure. So I can understand the fourth, you know, it's a tough time to be building applications, right? There's not a lot of people, you know, with pocketbooks open on chain willing to- Except for hamster know, racing. And WorldCoin. Except for hamster <laughs> And WorldCoin. Okay, all right. So with that as a beautiful transition, let's go to the two big stories of the week. The first up is WorldCoin. So WorldCoin, for those of you who don't know, it is a project that was originally- co-founded by Sam Altman, who's now the CEO of OpenAI. So WorldCoin, it's a cryptocurrency, and the idea is that they want uh, a sort of proof of personhood. And the way that you prove you are a person is that there is an orb, a literal physical orb, that you can pick up. There, there are a bunch of them around the world. And this physical orb will scan your iris, and it will create some basically more or less encrypted record of your iris that will identify you as being a singular person. It gets tied to your address as like a proof of personhood. And this creates a wallet for you, tied to your uh, scan of your iris. So um, they have scanned something like 2 million people, supposedly, mostly in the third world, none of them in the US and in Europe, because obviously this is less kosher in the US and Europe. And so they just launched their token on Monday. And their token launched currently it's about $250 million market cap on a $22 billion FDV. And you're reading that right. That is a 1% float. So meaning 1% of the total supply of the token is currently circulating. There's, a, there's been a lot of, oh, that's right, that's right. So I, I've heard a lot of people say that uh, this is the new Sam coin, which is a very reminiscent distribution of what 
I just hope he doesn't use it as collateral anywhere. Though. I think Sam Altman is a little busier than SBF, but it's right now very um, suspect in terms of the actual real price discovery of this token, because apparently the vast majority of this float is owned by market makers who have, let's say, complex incentives around how they're playing with this thing. But then uh, separately, after this thing launched, Vitalik published a blog post basically critiquing the biometric proof of personhood system that WorldCoin is using. And then you've got just a lot of people taking shots at them on Twitter saying that, oh, you know, this is like some kind of totalitarian scoop up everybody's eyeballs from the third world kind of, uh, I don't know, whatever. People, people talking shit about WorldCoin. I haven't seen a lot of positivity. Basically, almost everybody on Twitter is kind of mad, it seems like, at WorldCoin. I'd be curious just to hear from you guys. Give me the best positive take you can give. Here's my best positive take. It is really hard to figure out a mapping of one person, one set of biometrics, one address. We've seen again and again and again, every Sybil attack possible against every airdrop that's ever been imagined in crypto. We've seen people try to farm, you know, everything they can. We've seen like armies of people spinning up thousands of accounts, you know, to try to take advantage of things that don't even exist yet. And it is a hard fundamental problem to identify who's a real person, how many real people are there, how many people are using this application. We have a decade plus of people trying to game the metrics around L1 blockchains, creating fake activity and fake usage, because why not? It's easy to make a million wallets, right? And make it appear like your blockchain has a million more users. It's a real problem. It affects so much of what we do. And whether or not you think the approach to the solution is correct, and personally, I don't know if it is, and it's pretty creepy, and I don't love it. It is an incredibly difficult and important problem to solve, and it's worth solving, and they're taking a creative approach at solving it. Okay, I have a very different Believable. positive story. <laughs> okay. uh, I actually think Vitalik's post was not critical. It was generally quite positive. And part of the reason is I actually think the while Sam Altman's probably someone I would not necessarily trust in trying to not resell this type of data, some of the people who work there on the ZK side of like encrypting, basically what it does is there's this device, it has a sensor, the sensor has a particular attestation mechanism so it can sign. And what they do is they take the picture, they create this sort of like hash fingerprint, and then they generate a, a zero knowledge proof, a way of proving that, hey, if you took the picture again, you know, machine learning model tagged your eyes and your face like a normal face detection thing. And it's the same thing without revealing the input. So without revealing like, hey, this is the picture. So that's the only thing sort of stored publicly. And the head of research there is one of the smartest, but also like very privacy focused people I've ever met in this industry. His name is Remco. And I genuinely don't think he would work on such a thing if they didn't have this kind of long term goal of actually achieving the attested sensor privacy. Now, that being said, the eyeball stuff is personally, I find a little bit very creepy. I also just don't think that their auditing was particularly good. And I can't really check a lot of the, the details of exactly how the system works. It feels like they rushed it. Like, why do you have to launch this token now? That to me just seemed like cash grab, the float thing, cash grab. But they do have these like engineers and researchers who are amazing there. So. I think, to me, the fact that those people, I think if they saw real malevolence, would quit. And then at that point, it's like, short it. 
type of thing. Not trading not advice, trading not advice, investment not, advice. Not investment <laughs> advice. But like, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. But okay. the, uh, obviously. I think there's a lot of cool things they're doing. But yeah, the token just really felt cash grabby. I mean, my only argument against the mm-hmm. token is I'm just disappointed that it's like an L1 token. Like, I would think if they're trying to make a currency for the whole world to use, they would have waited to release the token. Not, it's not. It's not. No, it's on an L1. It's on an L1. It's, the yeah it's yeah. it's on ethereum but the wallet that they create for you when you sign up with worldcoin it, yeah it used to be on polygon now it's on optimism so it's like kind of like going where the money is so they can buy the token yeah. even though the token doesn't really do anything today i i agree i think the tech is actually very cool i think the goal is actually very admirable and like i don't know what people envision that like the current way we do kyc and like passporting is actually like, superior to this i think it's actually way better than the sort of the current system but I agree. I mean, the token, I remember, you know, we were looking at the round and like the time about business model. It's like, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll like, you know, charge people to, you know, look up your ID or like maybe we'll, you know, do some like MetaMask Uniswap fees. And it's just like kind of a big question mark. So it doesn't feel like that's really figured out. And it feels like totally unnecessary to like launch a token uh, when you don't even really have clear PMF and it doesn't really serve a purpose in, you know, meaningfully de- decentralizing the system. Good. You know, a bunch of people have commented on like their docs are missing a lot of like like they've been working on this in the open for a while, but they kind of like rushed to launch it in a way that just didn't seem like timed well. It felt like forced, whether by and I don't know who forced the investors, whatever. It didn't feel like you know like a natural kind of launch. But again, like there's a lot of people who work there who I have the utmost respect for, and. I really think if they were doing something duplicitous, I do not think any of those people would stay. And that the moment you see any of them leave, that's when that's like, all right, the orb is just trying to fuck you. I will say, Tarun, I find this argument of like, I know people there. It's cool. No, no, Don't no, worry no. about I, it. I, like that, that after, after having gone through 2022. The, different, the difference between like Remco and SPF is Remco has a like long standing, you know, in Ethereum development, a long standing. <laughs> Right. Look, Remco is awesome. Remco is awesome. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. But I'm sure they're paying him yeah, a yeah, lot sure, of that Sam Altman. But I just kind of think like there are a lot of things like at this point that if they continued fucking up, I see a lot of people who work there leaving and they've said as such. So it's like I also so a very funny fact is in 2017, 2018, I met one of the co-founders who's currently now who was kicked out by Altman, the current co-founder, this guy, Max. And I thought he was a raving, mm-hmm. crazy lunatic when he told me this idea. He was like, yeah, like, you know, I used to work at M-Pesa, which is this uh, payment system in, in Africa that was on mobile phones. And I think the number one problem is this identity problem. And the reason it worked in Africa is because the cellular companies all made this like federation and you could kind of like, they agreed to tell each other whether someone was a real person or routed the right way. And he was like, what if you could do that with blockchain? And I was like, okay, how do you plan on doing that? It's like, I don't know. There's got to be a way to do it. And so I remember when I first heard this, I was like, this is fucking crazy. This is like Silicon Valley hubris that we're going to give UBI to everyone, dot, dot, dot. Right? Like it started as a UBI project. It didn't start as like identity project. Mm-hmm. The, the identity thing was about give, distributing UBI. But then it was sort of like a MacGuffin. Like the end goal wasn't the thing that, it became like the, the the thing that you had to do to get to the end goal was the main plot in the story. And that's like what you have now. 
But yeah, I find it a little bit distasteful in the way the token was launched. And I think they're going to have a very hard time coming back from that. I will say to to WorldCoin's credit, obviously, we've all kind of said the main things that there are to say in terms of critiquing them. The one thing I will say about WorldCoin is that it is a big vision. And that is one thing that I think a lot of people... I mean, when you have for the last year, that many eyeballs, is. that is a big amount of vision. <laughs> wow. Great. 10 out of 10 dad joke. Thank you, Robert. I, yeah, it is ambitious. And it's also, I mean, it is more or less exactly what we were talking about, which is that almost everybody's trying to build infrastructure. Where are the people building applications? And I mean... They're, they are an application. Yeah, this is an application. But also infrastructure. This is an application. This is something that people will do. It is, con- you know, yeah, it's, it's a spectrum. It's crypto, right? You get, you get, you, you, you take where you can get. The better At version of WorldCoin that I hope will happen, but unfortunately investors will require a Sam Altman-like figure to make this thing not sound like it was deranged suddenly going into actually existing is just like attested sensors in general. Like this idea that like the sensor generates some proof of identity mm-hmm. that wasn't generated by a computer. That's in general going to be one of the biggest applications. Like I just don't, I, and I feel like WorldCoin can completely fuck up the AOL and the AOL Time Warner merger, but like still will have at least given people this idea that like this, you can actually do this at scale, which no one cares about. Here's my startup idea for some crazy founder out there. You make WorldCoin without the orb where you could just use the webcam right in front of you and like everyone can just like go on their computer and get 10 coins. There's no 25% for some team. It's just like everyone who can scan their face onto the computer and rotate their face and do all that gets 10 coins. And that's your fairly distributed crypto asset. Robert, I have bad news for you about what uh, video generation works these days. Yeah. A tested sensor thing, though, is real. Like, that's going to be the future. The question yeah. is, how do you get the hardware costs for it down enough that, yeah, anyone and their mom could write what Robert just described, but, like, your webcam happens to have an attested sensor in it, and it costs 10 bucks. Put the attested sensor in the webcam. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was going to say, I think the reason the optics of the orb are obviously, optics of the orb are obviously weird, but, you know, they just talk about, hey, like, you, uh, we looked at doing a cell phone cam and like just too low res and like it's really difficult to scan brown irises so we do infrared so it's like you know they've also had kind of similar thoughts um but i think to your point tarun i think kind of you know the way they describe it is worldcoin is like one sort of source of authority for a general sort of attestation network so i think they have a similar view and this is just kind of like the way you do it versus you know one of and did protocols that are like oh you know you should use you know, my method for doing attestations. No, you should do my method for doing attestations. They're just building it uh, from the yeah, You know what? I, I will say the one thing about WorldCoin that feels like a missed opportunity is that they've been trying really hard to try to like lean away from the like kind of colonialist Orwellian vibe of a bunch of white guys going to Africa and like taking, I know like taking the like snapshots of people's eyeballs and then taking and giving them small amounts of money in exchange for that. And I feel like, like if you look at the website, you look at all the branding, it's like very fuzzy and kind of like, oh, it's like just, it's wonderful tech. But like, you know, this crypto, like people love the kind of like dark cypherpunk, like dystopian vision. What if they just like owned the Orwellianness of the brand and were like, yeah, WorldCoin, like the world is ending. Everyone is going to, you know, we're going to have a database of everybody's eyeballs. It's fucking metal. Like it's so awesome. And we have a token. Like go Arkham style, you know, like Arkham. Arkham, I feel like, managed to nail the landing of like, yeah, this is dystopian right, like, and we own it. You know, you may as well get 
$80 for your eyeballs. Exactly. Exactly. Like, look, if everyone's eyeballs are going to be tokenized, you might as well get not even $80. It's I think it's like, like $8. Yeah. I, I thought you got like 20 coins or something like that. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, oh, it's like 50 right? bucks. It's like pretty good. Okay. 50 bucks. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I would pay 50 bucks for Okay. Well, we, I, heard, I take we heard Haseeb say that he would take $50 to get scanned. So, Haseeb. Buy an orb and take it to him. He's yeah. ready. Wait, how much do the orbs cost? No, yeah, yeah, because they have the people who are like in whatever country, like scanning people. You, there is a way to be like a. So you can you can just buy them off the shelf. This is where the centralized company part is like. It's an MLM. Oh, yeah, it's, oh it's whitelisted. Okay, so in addition to the world it coin. is an MLM because like the coin is ex- exists to kind of promulgate this like oh like you buy more world coins, scan more eyeballs, and you get more world coin. That part is the distasteful part. And that's the part that I, I find it very hard when I talk to these people working on like the real difficult sensor, attested sensor stuff that like they can never fucking answer. They're just like, yeah, well, how else are we going to get users? I'm like, yeah, by not scamming them out of their eyeballs. Like maybe there's other ways that are like more fair incentives than like <laughs> trying to make this thing where it's like you have to buy the orb to get more people on. And like, I hope it, it works and then they can stop doing the MLM. But like, I kind of just don't see how that happens. Like, it doesn't feel like there's like a natural like, hey, I went from Tupperware parties to, to like, you know, flatline, right? Like I'm sold at stores and I don't need to, I don't need to like do this kind of like, keep paying for distribution type of stuff. Yeah. This whole thing is just really weird. And I feel like easy to see coming that there was going to be more weirdness when the token launched. Because with something like this, like it, the, the, I mean, the whole premise of the token is that it's valuable because people have it, right? Which I, I, I feel like was a thesis that was invalidated a long time ago in crypto. That like, oh, you give this to a bunch of people and that makes it valuable. Well, no one's really done a good job of that. I think the MLM is they want you to stake the token to be able to scan new eyeballs. Wait, why do you have to stake it? I don't think you have to stake it, right? Because it's like the, the not, scanning not, itself not, is like, there's, there's no yet, need to like have, have like a DDoS thing. idea of like, hey, there's these people who are, who are getting orbs, who are distributing it. One other way of basically incentivizing them without charging them for the orb, which is expensive now, is to have them basically like stake portions of the fees that they get for yeah this this i've seen some crazy things like this and it's like that is just like so the only thing that was missing from the system is leverage so let's find a way to make people lock up lever up on their world coin if this didn't have sam altman people wouldn't suddenly be like it wouldn't have gotten this far where it's like now you're like okay so this is ftt for eyeballs okay Wow, it is a Sam really coin. Is a Sam coin. Is a, it comes full like, circle. The, the, the whole this thing. is like the most annoying wow. part about it. Like the technology is actually like amazing, right? Like they're actually doing the right thing. Of like, but then they like did the tokenomics in a way that like would make fucking Justin Sun blush. <laughs> oh God. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know how we move on from that, but it's going to be hard to move that's, on to hamsters. That's, 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 I know. All right. Well, the other ridiculous thing that happened this week was that, unfortunately, I, I regret to announce that there is a new trend on crypto Twitter, and that new trend is digital hamster racing. Robert, would you would you uh, do the honors in explaining to the audience? So again, what the fuck I will go back on? to the preface before the show, which is nothing is advice. Please, in fact, this is like anti advice. Don't do anything related to hamster racing. Okay, like please run. Yeah, like run as far away as you can away from this because this is bad. Okay, but basically, some folks on the internet decided that they were going to race hamsters 
similar to horse racing or dog racing or like cockfights or like whatever, and let people on the internet bet on these hamster races using crypto. And in the midst of this, they've released a token for their hamster race betting marketplace. And people on crypto Twitter got really excited about hamster racing and a token associated with hamster racing. And things got out of hand for a couple hours. People discovered that the hamster races might not even be live hamster races. They were just video loops of hamster races. Great use case for attested sensors. You put an attested sensor on the hamster, and now you're, you're writing the hamster state onto the blockchain. Exactly. There's better ways to do this if you're going to run a crazy illegal animal racing betting system, right? And so obviously this inspired a lot of conversation about what is the future of crypto-based entertainment and wagering. It's inspired a lot of discussion, a lot of creativity. You know, there's a couple nuances to the whole system. One is that the hamster organizational token has a 5% commission built into every buy and sale of the token. This is an innovation in disaster. And the developer is basically pocketing an extremely large fee on every single trade, which is unique. I don't know why they had to add such a wasteful facet onto an otherwise horrible operation. And, you know, we'll see where hamster racing evolves to. Um, I hope it ends. I hope like people don't start just like spinning up crazy things in their backyard. But like if they do marble racing, pretty fun. You could have like an online marble racing betting ring, you know, we'll see where the world takes this. What, what if the hamster racing is only deep fake hamster racing? Like it's only AI. That could also happen. This is why we need those sensors. I'm impressed by all the the copycats that spun up because this isn't like a, you know, sushi swap copy paste thing that you can do in an hour. You know, if you if there's one that's like rat roulette and it's like a rat that runs around the roulette wheel, I'm like, you have to go acquire a rat and a roulette wheel. And I'm like, you know, this takes some some legwork to to accomplish it. So um, at the very least, people are are actually the cockroach one was even more impressive. I don't know where you get live cockroaches within 24 hours, but you can apparently. So I think some people just have them around the house. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, Quinn Gecko had to add a whole section on like animal racing tokens. <laughs> yeah. We've been complaining about innovation on the application layer. And I feel like this is the answer that we were basically waiting for as we just said. This is why the normies hate us. Okay. Please, no more of this. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of our all, 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 all I have to say is like I want to invest in attested sensor applications because we've clearly proven that like Worldcoin is the the right technology idea, but like ICO we tokenomics. Need to combine the two. We need to combine Worldcoin and Rat Racing, and it's perfect. What else? What else could one want? All right. Well, that's incredibly depressing. Um, also, I, I will note the, uh, the 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 thing that you were talking about, Robert. The the take rate on the uh, transfers. That is actually one is both a function of Terra. That's what the, one of the things that Terra implemented. Wait, so Terra two, a, Terra two, a, a, a callback to Terra two implemented it. Terra one, it was always a, a function that could be called to recollateralize the system if if the collateral was too low. So that was a an original OG Terra functionality that I love that they now integrated into one of the worst, like from one of the worst things ever into one of the new worst things ever. Also, kind of a callback to NFT royalties. 
is I feel like there's some analogy there. I, I think this has been around for a while. There's like, what, like bomb token. Spaghetti. And there are a bunch Spaghetti. of these kind of like, yeah, pe- people love doing this kind of stuff. I don't even know how else to, to describe it. Yeah, what is it? Yeah, what do you even call this? These sort of uh, high transaction cost tokens? There's no point to it. You know, if they wanted to have a token yeah. for their yeah, no. gambling operation, betting on hamsters, there's no reason to overcomplicate it with this like crazy ass tax function. Yeah, they already get a share of from fees, the marketplace, right? From yeah. from the bets. So it seems like that, you know, that alone. Yeah. I mean, the other crazy right? token that my friends were talking about at the same time was these Telegram bots. Mm-hmm. You've read about these? The Unibot and all these other bots mm-hmm. where you basically like let them have a private key where you send all your crypto and then they can trade for you after you send them all your crypto. Nothing sketchy there. Yeah, nothing sketchy there. Yeah, that sounds totally normal. Why would you not send all your crypto to a Telegram bot? Big step backwards. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel like uh, things are in a weird place when retail is getting really fixated on like Telegram bots for trading and fake hamster races. I think consumers in a bad spot right now. Apparently the jury is still out on the fake races. The devs claim it was a bug and that was why you saw the duplicated streams. So, (laughs) you know. A bug that played prior footage? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they were, yeah. Look, using you obviously should give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to illegal hamster racing rings. Like, they, come on. All right, let's maybe talk about some uh, more kind of compelling applications in crypto. So there was a big story uh, last week about Uniswap X. So Uniswap, largest on-chain AMM exchange, uh, they announced that they're launching a new product, which is basically going to be an off-chain aggregator. So they're going to do, in the style of, one inch cow swap zero X. Uh, what they're going to do is they're going to have these uh, off chain actors called solvers that are basically going to basically look at all the possible ways in which they could take your order and execute it. And they're going to, these off chain players will compete to give you the best execution possible, either one through filling it themselves with some, you know, with their own inventory or by, you know, routing through some fanciness on chain. So that's more or less the idea. I mean, there's a bunch of other details, but basically Uniswap is expanding their product suite to go beyond just directly being the DEX to now also being the aggregator of other DEXs, effectively kind of pushing them into, you know, the rest of the market, the only part of the market that Uniswap did not have for on-chain uh, DEX trading for, for spot markets, obviously for derivatives, there are other platforms that have market share there. Uh, but for spot trading, basically the only thing they didn't have was, was aggregation. So any thoughts on Uniswap X and kind of how Uniswap, I mean, at this point, they, if they, if they succeed in taking away market share, they're just going to end up kind of owning the entire stack end to end. I mean, I think the part that's interesting is the capability of doing cross-chain swaps. I don't think, you know, there's been enough innovation there. I think, you know, there's been aggregators and really efficient systems for on-chain aggregation and like best execution for quite some time. But I think the actually interesting thing is that because it's using essentially an off-chain system and you can have two different assets in two different places as part of this solving that you start to get into like meta chain aggregation and best execution without which I a think, bridge without locking without explicitly locking up capital on both sides yeah. without locking up capital which i think is like an extremely underexplored area of trading now i think there's some room to explore there but like I, I that's what excited me the most um personally is that like hey this could totally change how people think about bridging in general like this is like you could just rely on trade execution as the bridge and we could potentially get rid of 
a lot of like existing approaches, like if this were to work at scale. On the other hand, you do rely on there being active market makers at all times. So you might lose your your sort of liveness of like, you know, in a bridge, you get some guarantee that your transaction, if it makes it into the bridge contract, eventually gets to the other side, given sufficient numbers of validators monitoring the bridge. But here you rely on market makers providing the capital just in time. And like if they all disappear on that chain, say phantom multi-chain exploit, you might be out of luck. So th- there is a, there is sort of, it's on a free lunch. You're also relying on Uniswap as the one hosting, I believe, like the order book and the quotes in the system. And in some ways, it's a much more centralized system than Uniswap v1, v2, v3, in that like you're relying on oh, yeah. you know, an entity to, make, to run the book, so to speak. Tom, you, you had something to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think uh, it feels a little bit like uh, you know, Uniswap is in its its Google era, where it has so much dominance that you can sort of just use your distribution to you know push new products that are maybe or don't depend so much on innovation. Like you know, I'm sure it's a great product, but we've we've had stuff like this for a very long time, and it, it's more hey, if we have so much traffic, so much intent coming through our own you know site, we may as well you know monetize that or do something else with it versus and sort of borrow from what the market has created versus uh, needing to sort of create brand new products from scratch that bring in new people. So I agree. I mean, I think it's probably going to be great to, to trade on and has a lot of those properties that that you know, people are talking about, including execution, minimized MEV, et cetera. But it does feel kind of you know, very, very similar to like a lot of the other products that you mentioned that are already out there, CastSwap, 0x, 1inch, et cetera. And yeah, it does create this weird centralization um, vector in the sense that you know someone has to host these these quotes, someone has to be on the other end of it. It was also interesting that they were talking about fees for this and there being sort of another fee switch for Uniswap X, which you know I, I don't know how to square that those two of yeah we're hosting this website, but also potentially fees going you know through this you know, application that we're hosting. Are the fees meant to go to UniToken or are they meant to be monetized totally separately by Uniswap Labs? I'm assuming UniToken, um, but it's not live yet, so who knows. Okay, interesting. What's interesting to me about Uniswap X is that it feels a little bit of an admission. So Uniswap has been trying to expand beyond just trading, right? So they acquired Genie, which was the NFT aggregator a while that you know used to compete with Gem and now with Blur. That kind of hasn't gone well, as far as I understand. They haven't. They're, they're not doing a lot of volume on the Uniswap NFT exchange. Um, and this kind of feels like okay, they're kind of keep trying to push the product suite of all the Uniswap offerings in DeFi to become larger and larger and kind of become this like DeFi super app. Effectively, that, that kind of seems like the direction they want to go. I remember back in 2020, like late 2020, we were arguing about whether or not to invest into Yearn internally at Dragonfly. And, um, you know, Yearn was very explicitly doing the super app game where they were like, okay, we're going to have, you know, originally it was just basically a yield aggregator and they're going to launch all these different verticalized products. Oh, we have insurance, we have this, we have that. And they, they were even like white labeling things to kind of bring into this Yearn super app. And we were arguing like, okay, well, Uniswap is going to do this too, obviously, because Uniswap has so many users. They're basically the front end of DeFi. Like it makes so much sense for them to just verticalize and like have their own lending market and their own this, their own that, and just bring it all under the same brand and just, you know, combine them under one common token, build a super app thing. And they didn't do it. They didn't even think about doing it. They did almost nothing for years until basically they launched an NFT exchange, which they airdropped USDC to people who used it. Um, and, so, and, and then that's it. And then this is the next thing that we've seen that's like kind of a real outgrowth beyond just we are a DEX. To me, one, it, feel, it feels quite late 
to be doing this, right? It felt like they could have really done this two years ago, but uh, for whatever reason they didn't. But it also feels in a way like a concession that the, the, the style of trading is going to change over time toward this model, which is just more efficient, right? Which, you know, a lot of like, we've been kind of arguing this and making investments along these lines that we thought that, you know, the AMM model was going to eventually get overtaken by this sort of RFQ off chain, you know, like find the best, find the best way to fulfill this order, use market makers or use whatever, that this model was eventually going to win. And it's a little bit sad to see that maybe the way it wins is that by Uniswap just puts it on the front end and then now it wins. But the, it, it's pretty clear that like they're, the reason why they're doing this is that presumably they're worried that if they don't, that the one inches of the world, the cow swaps of the world, the hash flows of the world, the, the zero X's of the world that, that take on this model are just going to outcompete them on price by having market makers essentially standing in and just giving you a better price or, or just routing it on chain. So my, my sense is that this might be in a way, like kind of the beginning of the end of like the really cool on-chain stuff. And also, I mean, one thing a lot of people have been talking about is that it is in a way a reflection that uh, we're moving away from the transaction-based model of on-chain trading and more toward the intense-based model of on-chain trading. And maybe this is a good place uh, uh, to just kind of wrap up the show and talk a little bit about this concept of intense. I know a lot of people have been talking about it. It's one that you know, I, I know we were just lamenting how much people are talking about infrastructure, but it is one of those big topics in infrastructure that keeps coming up again and again. So it's probably worth at least giving uh, kind of two cents on it. Tom, do you want to explain really briefly what is meant by this concept of intents versus transactions? Sure. Uh, it's basically a zero X order. So I think we're done. Um, but uh, All right. no, I mean, Easy. I think, um, you know, the, the, the basic sort of, you know, like primitive of, of Ethereum, right, is you specify, hey, here's like the transition that I like to make and here's like or here's the function that I'm going to call with this specific data and here's how much I'm going to pay to you know perform this, this transaction and then people make sure that it's it's valid and it gets included it, it's almost like too rigid it's like um if you were like ordering something from Amazon and you're like well I want this specific thing at, at this time delivered through this you know delivery driver and it's just like it's actually not really what you care about it's kind of be like you want to be very loose on, on inputs and rigid on, on the outputs, where the outputs might be, I'd like to purchase this NFT, or I would like to swap, you know, one ETH for roughly this amount of, of USDC. And you let the market sort of figure out the best path to get to that output that you want and sort of what the inputs are to get to that output. And so for an intent, it's, it's switching away from very specifically, this is the type of transaction I'd like to make um, and, and all the different bits that go into that versus here's roughly the, the output that I would, I would like, and I will let the market figure out how best to accomplish that, that output. Right. And so uh, Tarun, maybe you can speak to like, why is this such a big deal? Why is everyone talking about this? I mean, especially if you were in Paris, I know there's a lot of discussion about intense and intense based, like kind of moving away from transactions toward intense. What's the big deal? Why, why does that um, Yeah. Can you guys see my uh, shared screen? Not yet, but I'm super pumped. Right. No. Uh, oh, there we you go. know, this is a talk I gave uh, at Andreessen Research uh, about different types of things that people are uncertain about in the transaction supply chain of like, I send a transaction, how's it get executed, where is it get executed, what parties are in the middle. And these are all the different um, mechanisms that people have studied. And, you know, you know, the, obviously the most used one in the world is an auction and you know, I, I gave this color coding, making fun of the fact that like intents are this kind of like in GitHub comment kind of description. They're not really formally defined. I think the way people are actually using them is actually quite broader nowadays than sort of a Xerox order, for instance. But 
you know, I think it's mainly a catch-all for things that have any form of uncertainty. So the user has some type of uncertainty in how their transaction gets executed, but they get some guarantees that regardless of how it gets executed, some covenants hold. Like they get at least a certain amount of tokens or they use a certain amount of leverage at most or they dot, 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 like choose a metric, usually a financial metric, but it could be a non-financial metric that you can compute. And you have some way of giving some proof that even though there's all these uncertainties in the transaction supply chain and a blockchain, um, that you can... Uh, you're, you're, you're guaranteed some elements. And so there are a lot of people on the internet who will be like, it's just a limit order, right? Because the limit order says, guarantee, if your order was filled, it was filled at this price because the limit order was at a certain price for a certain quantity. But a lot of the type of stuff people are doing is actually more complicated than that. And it, it's more like, hey, in this circumstance, I want to trade Pepe for hamster. But actually, if like the hamster people are posting attestations that's, and they're failing, it's not a real hamster. I actually want to sell all my hamster and I want to make sure I, I only get ETH out, no other asset. And so these like more complicated trading things are, are kind of important. I had some slides showing the uncertainties, but I, that's probably too complicated for this podcast. I mean, we'll I save could- that for the next time. <laughs> Hold on, show us the slide. I want to see the slide now. No, no, no. no. You, you're, you're going to claim this is too fancy for our audience. I want to see it. Right, I want to see it. There's, there's a slide. There's, a, there's just an arrow. Our there audience you. can get this arrow. Uh, wait, these are, these are the uncertainties ordered by what, what is, what sort is of some type of like mini max payoff. All right, I like the uh, increasing payoff uncertainty. <laughs> that means supremum in, in math, this, which is like a generalization. Yeah, yeah of we max. like sub. Um, obviously, 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 yeah. I know that. I mean, come on, who doesn't know that? I thought sub it meant means super, supremum. But okay. Super, super. Yeah, yeah. Eg, super. Okay, exactly. Cool. Well, I I Great. immediately understood this the moment you pulled it up. So yeah. I think we can we can Me move too. on. Um, okay. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. All right. Next week will be a totally normal week, but we will be back and we will be talking about whatever happens between now and then. So until then, signing off. Bye.